in January, I asked a question to our congregation, uh, and I really asked the question, you know, what do we need to hear this year as we embark on this great adventure of planning a church in, in 2021? And in chewing on that, I was led to Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. And at the center of this passage, it's a race. And the race is really just a metaphor for the Christian life, a life where to live in obedience to God, serving God, faithfulness to God. And it's, it's a race that we push to finish well. And the race isn't a sprint. I think we all know that. This life isn't a sprint. It's a marathon. It's an endurance event full of hurdles. And to run this race well, we talked about we need to throw off sin. We need to throw off anything that is cumbersome, fear, doubt, anxiety, you know, toxic relationships, uh, television, media. We just need to throw off anything that prevents us from running that race well. And we talked about having endurance by fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ and not on anything else because he is the author and perfecter of our faith. And I'm going to be honest. This year has been good, but this year has been very hard as well. And I, I can't play with you as a pastor and just be like, man, this has been great. Everything's been great. There have been many great things that God has done. I mean, we've seen that in our baptism ceremonies. We see that with things like overtime getting back off the ground. I see that with new faces in our congregation. Even just getting into this building has kind of changed the landscape. But who knew that planting a church during a pandemic would be a challenge? And so in a way, I'm very excited about this next chapter, but in a way I'm very weary. I'm tired because I feel like we're in this big marathon sprint and, and I'm two miles in and I'm already breathing hard. I'm already cramping up. And there's just a lot of work to do. I think of all the lost people in this city, the people that don't know Christ. I think of all the broken families, families in need, families who just, people who just need a friend who are in isolation. And guys, there's, there's work to do. There's a marathon to run that God calls us to. And it'll be hard. And so I was moved to kind of another passage this week that I really think complements that running the race that, that is talked about in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. And it's a passage I preached on actually a few years ago. Uh, and so I'm excited to talk about it again. It was just my heart was kind of moved to it. And I wanted to get away from our parables of Luke study for our one year anniversary and just talk about something that I hope sets us up for the rest of this year. Really that carries us through for the rest of this year. If you've ever run long distances, they tell you to play or to play like psychological tricks uh, on your brain. And it's a very much a mental game. And so once you start getting over eight, seven, eight miles, it really just becomes this mental game. Your body's tired, but you have to be mentally strong. And they say, do these psychological tricks or exercises to keep you going. And one of those is, and I read this in a book called Marathon Running. Uh, I read a half marathon once. I had the idea that I wanted to run a full marathon, but I wanted to stay married more and because running a full marathon takes a lot of time away from your family, and I'm already gone a lot. And so, But in this book, they said, one of the tricks you can play is just imagine when you're running, when you're tired, when you have a, when you have a, a, like a, a, a stitch in your side or, or you're going up a hill, imagine a big invisible hand just pushing you forward. And, and that's goofy, just to be honest. But 
every time I run, I actually think about that. Not that I'm like actually like a big hand's pushing me. I feel great. But just that picture of like somebody being like this big invisible hand pushes you along and kind of moves you forward and, and helps you take the next step. I believe when we're weary as followers of Christ, hope, hope can be that big hand that pushes you forward, helps you move forward, and helps you to do the next thing that God wants you to do. Hope is a reservoir of courage and faith, fueling our ability to endure. And we're to be people of hope, first and foremost, as Christians, people who persevere onward, even when the race is hard. Turn to Romans 8. Turn to Romans 8. If you don't have a Bible, there's a blue Bible uh, back there for you. Don't be afraid to get up and grab one of those. That's our gift to you as well. If you don't have a Bible or don't have an ESV Bible, that's the translation we use. Uh, there's nothing special about our translation. It's a pretty popular one, uh, but it's just the one we kind of picked to be consistent on. And so look at Romans 8. Go to verse 18. Go to verse 18. Now, Paul in Romans, he's writing this letter to, to the church in Rome, and he's now starting to talk about suffering, things like persecution and suffering. And this is what he says in verse 18. Look at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so the idea is that the junk we're going through right now, the suffering and persecution, the illness, grief, financial loss, the things that make this race cumbersome now are nothing compared to what we will one day experience with God forever. This is a momentary distress and it will soon pass because eternity will be a lot longer and glory awaits us. That's what scripture talks about. The race is hard now, but it, it won't always be. And he unpacks this idea more in verse 922. And now I'll warn you, he kind of does it in, in somewhat of a roundabout way. And so look at verse 19. For creation awaits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. That's kind of a, a weird. He starts talking about creation first, and we'll kind of get to why, but it's this idea that creation here is all of the created universe. So anything that isn't human, so plants and land and animals and the birds and the butterflies and the bees, all of that stuff is what uh, Paul would consider creation here. Uh, and this creation waits for a future day when everything will be set right. Now, we don't talk about this a lot. We talk about how there's something wrong with humans, but the world in the world, there's something wrong as well. When humanity fell into sin, death, rebellion, and brokenness entered our world. And the creation 
was affected by that fall. So we see in Scripture, after Adam and Eve sin, we see that the ground is cursed by God. This world isn't what it's supposed to be. It's why you turn on the news and see things like tsunamis and, and hurricanes and mudslides. That's, that's a broken creation. That is not the way creation is supposed to operate. Those things bring about death and destruction. We look at things like disease and, and decay and, and uh, death. Those things are because creation is broken. It's feeling the effects of sin. But there's hope. It even says in this passage, but there's hope that God will one day liberate all of creation from the effects of sin. Now, this world will not go away. That's what we sometimes think. This world will go away one day and we'll all be on clouds. And we'll talk about that in a second. But this world's not going to go away. That's not what scripture says. It says that this world will be changed, renewed, redeemed, liberated for sin. And creation groans for that day. Creation is like a child on a very long road trip. Now, we make jokes about this, and this is in movies all the time, but inevitably, if you have kids under eight years old and you're taking a long car trip two hours in, what are they going to ask? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And then you'll hear it again about an hour later. Are we there yet? No, we're not. We're, we're not even halfway. We're not even halfway. Another hour after that, are we there yet? Creation groans. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? When am I going to be liberated? And God gives hope to that creation. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. There will be a day where everything will be renewed. Well, that's great. It's great for the trees and the, and the mountains and the butterflies. And, but what about us? <laughs> what about us as human beings? Look at verse 22 again. For now we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. So sin didn't only affect creation, it affected humanity as well. Now, sometimes we think of sin as this line that we cross, and it's just a list of of do's and don'ts that God gives us. And, you know, God wants me to be nice. And what I mean, that's a sin. And, and, and while there's some truth to that, man, sin touches our, our mind. It touches our emotions. It is deeply seated in us. And, and even our good works can, can be tainted by sin, selfishness and pride. And sometimes I'm not sure we look in the mirror and realize those things and Sin causes things like depression and, and anxiety and cancer and pain and frailty and suffering. And if you know this, there are times in your life or in my life where because of that, I groan. I groan like creation, man. People don't act the way they should. I don't act the way that God wants me to act. And I groan, I groan inwardly. Like creation, but like creation, I too have hope. 
Look at verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Here's humanity's hope. We wait eagerly for our adoption. And then he says the redemption of our bodies. And so those things are somewhat related. Our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So that's what we as believers, as children of God, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, that is our hope. We have this future adoption and we have the redemption of our bodies. Now, that, those are very kind of churchy terms, the redemption of our bodies. What the heck are they talking about? And adopted into what? Let's talk about that first one, adoption. Now, we can talk about this theologically, but don't miss the, the power and impact of this language, adoption. Adoption. The last time I preached this passage a few years ago, there were over 300 children in Denver waiting to be adopted. Waiting to have a home. Waiting to have a mother and a father who loves them. Waiting to have some protection, some consistency, some place to be loved and cared for and valued. There are over 300 people 300 children in this area just waiting to be adopted. Now imagine if somebody came in to wherever they're at and said, hey, we've filled out the paperwork. We've been approved by the state or the agency or whatever needs to be approved. Hey, you're going to join our family next week. You would be excited. I now have a home. I now have a family. I now have a mother. I now have a father. And there's a week away. It's a week away. So you have some time, but you may have a bad day or two in that week. But I think if you were going to be adopted, you'd be somewhat excited and better able to get through that day because you knew that wasn't the end for you. That's very similar to what happens to us in Christ. Now, Scripture kind of talks about the idea that we've already been adopted, and that's true. We've already been adopted, but you have yet to experience the fullness of that adoption. You have yet to experience the fullness of being a child of God. We haven't received every benefit of being with the Father every benefit of being perfectly cared for by the Father because sin is still a part of this life. Sin is still something we run to, still junk that we mess with. But but one day, we will be with him at home forever. So you have this idea of adoption. Then you have this other weird idea of the redemption of our bodies. Now, most of us, when we think of things like heaven and our eternal state, we, we kind of go to the cultural norms of like, we're going to be, you know, like spirits in, in some place and we'll have wings and we'll all be half naked and like looking like little babies and, uh, or maybe like toga party sort of situation. And we'll kind of float around from cloud to cloud and there'll be all the ice cream we want. And uh, it'll just be this great place that, and we'll kind of just 
be ethereal and we'll kind of just float and, hey, you want to come over to my cloud today? Yes, it's, it's the second cloud from the right. And, uh, you know, invite people over. And, um, but that's not the biblical picture. That's actually not the biblical picture for eternity. The biblical picture for eternity looks like this. It's, it's if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if we put our faith and trust in his work on the cross on our behalf, the Holy Spirit enters into our lives and seals us. We are adopted. We will not be snatched from God's hand. There is nothing we can do. There is no one who can snatch us from God's hand. We are His. But when we die, our bodies will go into the ground. But our, our soul, our spirit will be with Him. But this is called, what theologians call, the intermediate state. It's, it's kind of the, the middle state. That's not our, our ending place. That's not our eternal state. What will one day happen is that one day when Jesus comes back, our bodies, our, our broken bodies, will be resurrected. They'll be redeemed, renewed, and glorified. And that body will be rejoined with our spirit, our soul, and we will be with God forever, unhindered by sin. In this new creation, in this new place that he has for us. Now that's a simplification, but that's the basic picture that scripture paints for us. You and I will receive, this is weird. We don't talk about this a lot in church, but you and I will receive new glorified heavenly bodies. And so how many of you are suffering uh, because your body is breaking down on you in some way or another? Yeah, right? I mean, you got bad back, uh, you got, you know, hurt knee or, or you're suffering from some sort of illness. Uh, you know, my neck, I've talked about this multiple times. I ran my head into things for a good 20 years and, uh, you know, I'm suffering the consequences. Those things will not hinder me with my new glorified body and my new redemptive state. Whatever pain you feel, whatever suffering you experience because this flesh is, is breaking down on you will be no more. Our glorified bodies will not suffer the effects of sin and will be with Jesus in, in a redeemed creation. That's our hope. One day the pain in my neck will be gone. That is our hope. When and one day uh, my spiritually, my, my leaning towards sin, my susceptibility to, to choose selfishness, that will be gone. One day, uh, relationally, my, my relationship with other people, my communication with other people, my relationship with God will be unhindered by sin. This is what it means to have redeemed bodies. So we have this idea of adoption and redemption. That is what awaits us as Christians. That is what awaits us as God's people. That is our hope. And now when I say hope, I don't mean like, wishful thinking, like, I hope the Chiefs win the day. All right, more important to me, I hope my fantasy team wins. I hope, or I hope my son's uh, grades are good, and they're going to be good, right? Hopefully. He said, hopefully. <laughs> I hope that that's, you know, when we say hope like that, it's just the idea, like, ah, I don't really know. 
but I hope it turns out that way. It's more like I wish. But hope, biblical hope is more than just wishful thinking. Biblical hope is a confident expectation and desire for something good. If you're going to write anything down, write this down. Hope comes from owning the promises of God for the not yet. And I think of hope and God's future promises, if really grasped and owned, will seep into our hearts. It'll give us endurance for the present. And if I know that God is going to do something good tomorrow, it's going to help me persevere today. Famous author John Maxwell said, hope motivates when discouragement comes. Hope energizes when the body is tired. Hope sweetens when bitterness bites. Hope sings when all melodies are gone. Hope climbs over obstacles when no one is helping. It endures hardships when no one is caring. It presses towards victory when no one is encouraging. It dares to give when no one is sharing. And it brings victory when no one is winning. Hope is church fuel. It's high octane, fully unleaded church fuel. When we do these great endeavors like like church planting and trying to start something new, uh, trying to share the gospel in an area that, that needs it, we have to have hope because there is going to be obstacles, hardships, discouragement, And we need to have hope for the not yet. Our present sufferings are nothing compared to what awaits us. But hope moves us forward, guys. We as a church, we need hope. And it comes from owning the promises of God for the not yet. And I'll be honest, that's hard. Because life is is about now, right? We get focused on the now and we, we tend to not look down the road. And I think God knows, and I think Paul knows that, so he even gives us hope for today in this passage. So it's not yet, it's not just about owning the promises for tomorrow. There's promises that we're to own today. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in all our weakness, for we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so you have humanity growing. You have the, the creation groaning. You have the spirit groaning inside of us when we don't know what to pray. And here's the reality. As we wait for our future adoption or the redemption of our bodies, life can be unkind. Guys, there have been multiple times this year where I've just, I've I've sat before God and and I've just said to myself, I don't even stink and know what to pray. I don't know how to handle this situation. I don't have to deal with this issue. I honestly, my heart is broken and I don't know what to pray right now. Have you ever felt like that? I just don't even have the words. Well, here's a promise. When that happens, we have the hope that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. The Spirit makes up for our helplessness. 
and inaudibly prays for us in a way that matches the will of God. And this is kind of mysterious. It's kind of mysterious. I don't know how this works all the time. But guys, I know that there have been many times in my life where I've just, I've come before God. I've just been like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to approach the situation. I don't know how to talk to this. I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know how to process my own junk. I, I, I don't know what to do. And the Holy Spirit comes in and says, I got you. I got you. I know what to pray, even when you don't. You groan. I can translate that for the Father. And so when you are desperate, when you are helpless, I am not. And there's going to be pain when we run the race and sometimes that pain is going to stop you in our tracks and you will groan, you will want to stop running and you will not know how to move forward. This is where the spirit comes in and says, let me intercede on your behalf. I'm in you. Let me carry you. I'll pray for you. You don't have the words I do. Our not yet hope is sustained because we have God in us helping us now. But he doesn't stop there. Look at verse 28. Look at verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We tend to read this passage in isolation. If you've been to Awana, you've probably memorized this passage out of context. And so we kind of have a little bit of the context here. It's in this context of hope that God is going to continue to work in every situation we face, whether it's through pain or prosperity. But it doesn't say God works for the financial benefit of those who love him. It does not say that. It does not say God works for the vocational success of those who love him. It doesn't say God will work out everything in your life perfectly to make you happy, content, self-reliant, and successful. The good in context here is becoming more like Jesus. So the idea is that God will use every single situation for our good. And that good means he's going to use every single situation to transform us to become more like Christ. He's going to make us more like Jesus. Now, that gives me hope that in God's economy, there is no such thing as worthless pain. That God uses every single situation like a knife to, to whittle us, like a piece of wood into the image of Christ. And he's going to chip this away and he's going to whittle this away. And, and I'll be honest, sometimes it doesn't feel good. Sometimes life doesn't feel good. But, but that whittling, that pain is never purposeless. It's not because he is cruel. It's not because he is mean. It is because he loves you. And he wants more for you. 
Look at verse 29 and 30 real quick again. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God called you, chose you, justified you. God will shape you until your glorification. This brings us back to the redemption of our bodies and our adoption. That's our hope. We eagerly wait for the not yet with certain promises for the now. God intercedes on our behalf. God works in every situation to make us like Jesus as we wait for the not yet. Hope comes from owning the promises of God for the now and the not yet. Hope comes from owning the promises of God for the now and the not yet. Any good song, it doesn't matter if it's classical music or, or rock music. Uh, I can't say country music because there's no good country music really out there. Um, I don't know, I can't, I can't. I've tried guys, multiple times. Try to give it a chance, just can't do it. But like most good songs, there's crescendos and decrescendos. And if you know music, that means there's like hills and valleys. There's, there's, there's these great builds. And then there's these very low valleys where things get quiet or they, they get a bit more somber. And every good song kind of has that juxtaposition. And, and life is really no different. As we run the race of life, man, if you've ever ran, it's, it's not a downhill run. Not everything is easy. There's hills, and sometimes it's great, and sometimes it's fun, and sometimes you're like, I could do this all day long. And then you hit a hill, and you go, this is terrible. I never want to do this again. I wish this would stop. That's how life is. That is how life is, but hope is that invisible hand that, that moves us forward. We as a church, to move forward, if we do not have hope, we are doomed. Like if there's conflict or if there's issues that arise, if we don't have hope that God can work it out, we are doomed. If, if for some reason we got shut down and we weren't able to meet here, if we didn't have hope that God would somehow work that out for our good individually and as a church, we will be Without hope, we might as well shut the doors. Without the hope of the gospel, what are we really meeting for? What are we really praising God for? We must be a church full of hope. But here's the hard part. I can't manufacture it. And I can't speak. I'm not, I'm not the most articulate pastor, even in our city, guys. I don't care about that. I can't. You know, whoa, I'm not a motivational speaker and we all leave and we're like, I'm full of hope. Like, I, I, I mean, I could maybe do that. I don't know. Uh, but it lasts for maybe like 30 seconds. You'd be like, man, Larry was really weird today at church. He was talking like Tony Robbins and, and it was very weird. Uh, but like, I, guys, I don't, I, I can't do that. And so hope can't be manufactured. It can only be given to you by God. And so you have to ask for hope if you don't have it. That's the reality. You have to daily petition God and ask for hope if you don't have it. It's, it's like 
the, the, the woman that was treated unjustly that we talked about a few weeks ago, she kept knocking on that unjust judge's door and finally he gave in. How much more will God answer our prayers for hope if we knock on his door and ask for them? And so John Calvin, he says this, we should ask God to increase our hope when it is small, awaken it when it's dormant, confirm it when it's wavering, strengthen it when it's weak, and raise it up when it's overthrown. And so our our pursuit of hope really begins with prayer. God, I need you to give me an unshaken confidence and belief and the promises that you give me for the now that you are working for my good, for the now that your spirit is with me, interceding for me, and for the not yet, that this life isn't it. That there's glory that awaits us. There's redemption that awaits us. There's full adoption that awaits us. And guys, there's really a difference between asking God for me to believe it and to own it. I know every single one of these promises. I can quote them back to you. I've preached this passage many times. Knowing something does not change your life. Owning these facts, owning these promises, owning these truths, settling our hearts on these things. Now that is life changing. That is culture changing. That is city changing. And we collectively together do that. God, help me to own promises for the now and not yet. And may year two of this great, crazy, weird roller coaster of an adventure that we call Central Bible Church and all the things that God is doing through it, may this next year be one driven by hope. Amen?